want to thank everybody who's participated in our gathering so far this morning. My name is Warren Brosey. I'm one of the ministers here at Berlin Christian Church, and it's just good to be with you. Those who are joining us online through Facebook, YouTube, or listening, uh, thank you as well. We are glad to be with you today. Today's text is from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14. You can find it in your pew Bible if you'd like to on page 933, or you can pull out your electronic device. Whatever makes uh, best sense for you is cool with me. But this verse is challenging to me. This verse challenges me because it really addresses preaching. And that's something that I've given my life to, preaching the good news of Jesus. And this verse really uh, hits home to me because uh, I have given the last two decades of my life to study preaching, to work on sermons, and I tried to even calculate how many hours I have done this, this moment right here, the preaching time, hundreds of hours that I have been before people. Many of you have, have been there with me, so thank you. There's got to be a special jewel in your crown uh, for sitting under my preaching for two decades, so thank you for that. Uh, but, you know, I've just spent lots of hours in this preaching uh, experience. And so uh, today's verse simply says this. It's in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If Christ has not been raised, that's a conditional clause, a big if this is true, then this is the result. And so this idea, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. That word for useless, some of your translations might say vain, it's in vain, and so is your faith. Uh, The word means to be empty. So if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is empty. The word empty shows up in in Genesis where, do you remember that guy named Joseph in the Old Testament? He had that fancy cool cloak or coat with, and they said, many colors, and he was really kind of a spoiled brat. And his big brothers were like, enough is enough, and they tried to, they were going to sell him off, but they said, let's just put him in this pit, this cistern. And it says that the cistern was empty, it was useless aren't they're so kind they didn't throw them in a a, a full one to drown them right that's so kind of them but they said the pit was was empty there the old testament also talks about don't appear before god empty-handed so if christ has not been raised then our preaching is empty useless in vain and so is your faith and i was just wanted to kind of go down this road a little bit this morning because i was sitting in front of the ymca in my van i was getting ready to go swim And I just thought, okay, where does this thinking take us? If Christ has not been raised, where does that go? Where does that road take us? And I thought to myself, well, if Christ has not been raised, and think about all the different churches that have been started since the first century. I mean, just around the world, church after church after church. If Christ has not been raised, then those churches have wasted their time. They really built that church on a lie if Christ has not been raised. And I got to thinking, you know, this church body here, Berlin Christian Church, has been here for 200 years. Have we wasted 200 years of ministry if Christ has not been raised? I got to thinking about the money. Can you think about how much money has been given in the name of Jesus since the first century? And if Christ has not been raised, then where'd all that money go to? What was that for? 
And I got to think about all the different preachers that I respect. And you think about Martin Luther and John Calvin and John and Charles Wesley and C.S. Lewis and, and Mother Teresa. If Christ has not been raised, then does that mean what they said was a lie? If Christ has not been raised, then that means that I have been preaching lies for two plus decades and you've paid me to do it. I'm just being honest. If Christ has not been raised, that's where this road takes us. And so that's kind of a sobering thought to think about. If Christ has not been raised. You think about the colleges and universities. Most colleges here in the States were started as seminaries. Did you know that? To train preachers. And so if Christ has not been raised, then what happened to all those colleges and, and hospitals and orphanages that were to bring these kids and put them in forever homes? And think about all the missionary outposts around the world. If Christ has not been raised, then what was that all about? Was that built on a lie? And so if you go to our reading book this week, and we still have some more copies of Core 52, if you're just joining us and you're like, what are you talking about? We've got Core 52 books out in the lobby right there at the welcome desk, and take one for your family. We're in week number 44, starting today. Chapter 44 is titled Resurrection, and in that chapter, Mark Moore gives a few facts. And so what I want to do in our time together is to, to identify three facts from the chapter that our book goes through. And three results based on those facts. So if we can dial in these three basic facts, then there's going to be some kind of implications or results based on that. Are you following me? So we're going to look at three facts. I'm going to give you three results. Uh, and I'm going to tell you a story. And then we'll go have some chili and play games. That's the plan for today, okay? Fact number one. Jesus died by crucifixion. Jesus was executed by crucifixion. That is a fact that is, that's verified both inside and outside of the Bible. You read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are what we call the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you get to the latter chapters, and you're going to find this phrase. It's a little different in each of the Gospels, but it basically says this. There they crucified him. Talking about Jesus. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. There's four witnesses right there that say Jesus died. By crucifixion. In fact, some of the gospel writers even say that they were going to check and, and knock off their legs, break their legs so they would die quicker, but they get to Jesus and they find out he's already dead. And so they put a spear in his side and blood and water flows out. And then you get to the gospel stories and they talk about Jesus' body was taken down off of a cross and put in a grave. So they buried him. Jesus died by crucifixion. That's a fact that's evidenced throughout the New Testament. But not only in the New Testament, there's a Roman historian by the name of, are you ready for this? Tacitus. Try to say that one three times fast too. We weren't going to do it. Tacitus. And he is writing about 30 years after the time of Jesus. And there's this big fire in Rome. And Nero is the emperor in Rome. And he blames the fires in Rome on a group of Christians. And here's what Tacitus has to write. This is about 30 years after the time of Jesus. Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christus, does that sound a little familiar? It's really similar to the Greek word Christos, which is the name of Jesus, the title Christ. Christos, for whom it had its origin, he suffered the extreme penalty penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, 
Pontius Pilatus. We call him Pontius Pilate. And the gospel writers talk about Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. And some of the early creeds talk about that. So here is a Roman. He's not a Christian, folks. And he's saying there's this guy named Christ. And he suffered the extreme penalty. And the Romans would probably say, we know what that means. And it looks like this. And you nail him to a cross. And so there's a couple different examples that define how Jesus died. If he's going to raise from the dead, you've got to get him dead first, right? And so Jesus died by crucifixion. That's a fact to consider. Another fact to consider, number two, is the tomb was empty. There's this empty tomb you have to recognize and reconcile with. And so both, both uh, inside the gospel, they talk about this. this is a, the, the, the apostles are seeing this empty tomb. I've been to Jerusalem. And there's two places. There is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and there's the Garden Tomb. And both of those places have one thing in common. Jesus isn't there. There's no, there's, there's no one in that, those tombs. There's, the body's gone. The tomb is empty. Even early on in Matthew's Gospel, the, the Roman soldiers wake up from this earthquake, and the tomb is empty, and they run to the chief priest, and it's like, there's no Jesus. And the chief priest... They give the Roman soldiers money and they say, just tell everybody that, that his disciples stole the body. Just tell the people the disciples came and stole the body. So even you got Romans and Jewish leaders trying to cover up. There's this empty tomb. What do we do? So that's an example. That's a fact to consider that the tomb's empty. Third fact that we can consider is that the apostles believed Jesus to, that he appeared to them in a tangible body, a real flesh and blood body. Again, this is examples in the New Testament where Jesus appears to them. He even says to Thomas, hey, why don't you reach out your finger and put it in my hand? Feel the nail print. Put your hand into my side. He says, does a ghost have flesh and bones? I'm, I'm, I'm physically here with you. In fact, he said, do you have something to eat? And he got a piece of fish and he ate fish in front of them. Those are examples that Jesus had a real body. He wasn't some ghostly phantom figure. He's raised from the dead, and he had a flesh and bones body. Here's how Paul describes it earlier in our chapter. This is in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 8. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. The word gospel means good news. So the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand, by this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Same word from verse 14, empty, useless. Verse 3, for what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, that's another name for Simon Peter, one of the twelve disciples, and then to the twelve, verse 6. After that He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Some people say, well, Jesus just appeared to have rose from the dead and people were just dreaming or they were hallucinating that they saw Jesus alive. After all, you know, they would be sad, distraught, their dear leader has died. And so they just dreamt or had a vision or hallucinated that he came back from the dead. 
But would 500 people at the same time have the same dream or hallucination? Verse 7, then he appeared to James, that's a half-brother of Jesus, then to all the apostles, last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. So a question we have to ask is, how many eyewitnesses do we have to have to make this an eyewitness account? We've got over 500 different witnesses that are, that are stated here. So Jesus appeared in a flesh and bones body, fleshly body, after he died. And not only did he appear to them, but the disciples' lives were changed as a result of encountering Jesus. Paul goes on in verse 9. He says, For I am the least of the apostles. I do not even deserve to be called an apostle. An apostle is one who's sent out on a mission. Because I persecuted the church of God. Verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. We're going to talk about God's grace next week. Uh, when we preach on grace. Verse 11, whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. The apostles had an extreme life change because after Jesus died, they're huddling up in the upper room, and they're scared to death. And they go from fearful to fearless after they experience the risen Christ. And they're on the street corners, and they're preaching. And the disciples, other than John, who spent the rest of his days on exile in Patmos, which doesn't sound very exciting either, it says, I'm on the island of Patmos for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. But all the others died for their faith. Do you think they would have died for a lie? As they're getting stretched out on crosses or whatever they, they believe, tradition states, do you think they would have said, you know what, we're making all this up, this is not true? Would they have died for a lie? So if that's true, if Jesus was executed by crucifixion, if the tomb was empty, if the disciples believed Jesus appeared to them in a tangible body, what, what do we do now? What are the results? If Jesus rose from the dead, then he kept his word. If Jesus rose from the dead, then we can trust him because he kept his word. Multiple accounts in the, in the Gospels, he's saying, we're going to go to Jerusalem, they're going to arrest me, they're going to put me on a cross, but three days later, I'll come back. Here's one example, Matthew chapter 20, verse 18. Matthew chapter 20, verse 18 and 19. We are going up to Jerusalem, Jesus said, and the Son of Man, you remember Son of Man? That's his favorite name, back from Daniel seven thirteen. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests, the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. So if Christ rose from the dead, then he kept his word and we can trust him. Another result is if Jesus rose from the dead, then he gives us hope beyond the grave. He gives us hope beyond the grave. We can look at death and know that death doesn't have the final say. You go on in Paul's letter there, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 19 to 22. 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ... 
we are all, of all people, most to be pitied. So we're like, Jesus is just good, good from till death. He's like, we're to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. If Jesus rose from the dead, then he gives us hope beyond the grave. You guys know what today is, right? It's Halloween. Okay, I'm, it's, that's not a trick question. It's Sunday and it's Halloween, okay? Um, but do you know what kind of the other name for today is? Are you ready? Not yet, that's tomorrow. This is, it's All Hallows' Eve. Doesn't that sound cool, okay? And so tomorrow is All Saints' Day, thank you. And so it's the day before, before All Saints' Day, which in a lot of churches, they recognize the faithful departed, those who have followed Jesus and now are dead and, and with Jesus in heaven. And it's helpful to remember. Why would they remember that? Because Jesus raises people from the dead. We have hope beyond the grave. So on the today when we kind of think of ghouls and goblins and death and blah, remember there is someone who gives us hope beyond the grave and all the darkness and death that is around us. I was trying to make this like Easter Sunday. I don't know if we accomplished the goal yet, but some of the, have you catch, catch, catch the feel for the, ser- the songs? We were like, this is e- it's Easter today, which is kind of nice because as a Christian, it's Easter every day. And so if Christ, is rose from the, Christ rose from the dead, then he gives us hope beyond the grave. Third thing to consider, third result, if Jesus rose from the dead, then he gives us victory over sin. It's a big deal. Because last time I checked, we all have sin in our lives. And so what does this do? Again, I just, I'm skipping to the end of the chapter now. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54. Paul's talking about you know, this change that's going to happen when, when we die, we get new bodies. He said, verse 54, When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we can look with victory over death and sin. It says there, for in Adam all sin. Do you remember there in Genesis 2? God says, don't eat from that tree. Because the day you eat from that tree, you will certainly die. And it took someone else, a better Adam, named Jesus, to defeat the evil one and rescue us from our sins. And Paul is saying, thanks be to God who gives us victory over sin through our Lord Jesus Christ. There were two preachers back in the 1940s. William and Charles, they were fast friends. And they went, they met on a Youth for Christ tour, and they went over to Europe to go and preach the gospel on this long preaching tour. And they would alternate nights. One would preach, William would preach one night, Charles would preach another night, and they just had this great evangelistic tour all throughout Europe. They come back home. Charles starts a church here in the States, seats 1,200 people in the sanctuary, and soon it's overflowing. 
Charles and William. Some people even said, Charles is a better preacher than William. He is a better evangelist than William. And you're saying, preacher, who are you talking about? Well, Charles is Charles Templeton. You may not recognize his name, but you might recognize William from his North Carolina, more folksy name, Billy. Billy Graham. Does that ring a bell to some of you? Billy Graham. And this Billy Graham was a pretty good preacher, but this Charles Templeton, they said, no, that guy is the preacher. That guy can do it. And there in the 1940s, both men had a crisis of faith. And Charles was a student at Princeton University, and he told Billy, he said, Billy, you're about 50 years out of date. This Bible, I'm not so sure we can trust everything that's written in this Bible. This was in the 40s. It's like, I don't know if we can really truly discern who this is. And so there's a picture of, of Billy Graham and Charles Templeton and another friend. And so Charles is whispering into Billy's ear and said, I'm just not so sure we can trust this word. And Charles had a couple other moments where he saw a, a picture of a lady from Africa holding her dead baby because of starvation. And he says, I don't know if a loving God would let that happen. And later in life, he started to see Alzheimer's. He's like, I don't know if a loving God would let that happen. And so Charles Templeton stopped preaching. And he walked away from the faith and the church. And for 50 years, he lived as a, in a life just saying, I'm not so sure we can know there is a God out there. I just don't know. He even wrote a book late in life, Farewell to God, My Reasons for Rejecting the Christian Faith. Charles Templeton. Well, enter Lee Strobel, who is a Christian preacher, and he was writing a book, The Case for Faith, which is where this, this story is coming from, most of the material. And Lee Strobel is just wanting to follow up Charles Templeton. Tell me, tell me your story. And so he goes to Toronto, Canada, knocks on Charles Templeton's door, and he's warmly received. And Charles Templeton now is 83, suffering from Alzheimer's. And he welcomes him in. They sit down, they talk, and he kind of walks, Charles just kind of walks him through his life, still rejecting God. And Lee Strobel wants to turn the conversation. He says, how would you assess Jesus? Tell me about Jesus. Charles Templeton's demeanor softens. He says, Jesus Christ is the most important person who ever lived. And then he said this that really floored Lee Strobel. I miss him. Fifty years of life, not sure there really is a God. Just months later, Charles Templeton dies. I don't know if he did turn back and come back to Jesus or not. I don't know. That's Charles Templeton's story. But in that same window where Charles Templeton made a choice, Billy Graham was wrestling with some of the same questions that Charles wrestled with. And he's just like, I'm not so sure if I can trust everything in this book. And there was a sweet Sunday school teacher named Henrietta Mears. And Henrietta Mears had a great big heart for Jesus, and she had a great big brain for modern scholarship. And she was kind of able to wed both of those, and she was able to walk through a little bit with Billy Graham in this season of his life. 
Henrietta Mears and her Sunday school class, get this, out of her Sunday school class came 400 preachers. I'd be happy we had one or two, to be honest. 400. And some really great big names of, of Jesus followers, Billy Graham being one of those influential people in her path. And so if you're working with our young people, teachers, youth leaders, on Sundays or Wednesday nights, and you're just thinking these kids are not going to do it, you never know. Billy Graham may be in your class this week. So you keep loving them. You keep praying for them. You keep teaching them God's word. And just let the Spirit do what he needs to do because you never know what God may do. And so Henrietta Mears is in this with Billy Graham in this season, and he finally just says, I'm going to take this. I, gotta, I take it on faith. There's some things that we just can't fully explain, but I'm going to just trust God. And they said there was just this feeling in his heart. Something just kind of fell off. And that was in the 1940s. And Billy Graham finished well, faithfully serving Jesus, ministering to millions around the world. So if Jesus rose from the dead, then we have a message to share and a person we can trust. If Jesus rose from the dead, then I have not wasted my last 20 years. You haven't wasted your money giving to this church because we're making more and better followers of Jesus. If Jesus rose from the dead, then we have a mission. We have something to share with the world that God loves them, that Jesus is alive, and that Nietzsche is wrong. God is not dead, but he is alive. If Jesus rose from the dead, then that means that your faith is not empty, but it is full and overflowing, and God can do immeasurably more than we can think about if Jesus rose from the dead. If Jesus rose from the dead, then we can trust the church and what he's done. And I'll be honest, the church has done some things we shouldn't have done over the history. There's some, there's some black marks in this. Not, not Every church, we're all full of humans. But church history, there's some things that have been done in the name of Jesus that ain't right, okay? So I got to kind of play that out. But generally speaking, this word we can trust. If Jesus rose from the dead, then we can trust him. If Jesus rose from the dead, then we have a message to share and a person we can trust. And it's not just the most important person in history. But if he rose from the dead, that means he's God, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And my friends, this key doctrine, this key teaching is the bedrock of our faith. And so if this doesn't hold true, then Paul says, you're right, your faith's empty. And we're to be pitied among most men and women. So we have two questions. Did Jesus rise from the dead? It's yes or no. It's, I don't think there's a maybe like there used to be in middle school when you ask a girl if she liked you, yes, no, or maybe. That's not there. If, did Jesus rise from the dead? It's yes or no. Yes or no. And so if, if it's no, then go with Charles Templeton and, 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 and that, that theme of, and just do whatever you want to. You can live life on your own terms. There's no reason to follow Jesus. If he didn't rise from dead, just whatever you want to do. It's fine. But if it's true... If Jesus did rise from the dead, then he's our Lord and our King. And we've got to follow him. We've got to trust him because he loves us and he's alive and well. If Jesus rose from the dead, we have a message to share and a person we can trust. 
And so I want to invite you wherever you're at. And there, you could be in some different spots here on the journey. I just want you to know we love you. And let your doubts drive you to the truth. Because I'm confident the truth will take you to Jesus. Because he said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. But let your doubts drive you closer to the truth. And it's okay to have your doubts and questions. Billy Graham had a few. And if you're a thinking Christian, you're going to have those. And that's okay. But I want to encourage you, if you're on this journey somewhere and you're like not so sure, or maybe you're just kind of hearing this for the first time, say, okay, I'm, I'm convinced or I'm becoming convinced, and you want to know what your next steps are, I'd be happy to pray with you and visit with you before you leave today. Talk with someone. You can send us a message through the check-in or through the Facebook post if you're online, but don't let today go without making that choice. Say, count me in. I believe it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are so, so good. Thank you for rising from the dead. Thank you for giving life to our faith. And Lord, we just admit our struggles with, with doubts and, and uncertainties and questions. And Lord, we just ask for clarity. But Lord, I also pray that this message will bring us closer to you and just give us a passion for loving our neighbors and reaching out to our, the, the, the surrounding area with your truth. Thank you for raising from the dead to give us the hope of eternal life that begins now. And I pray you'd place people in our path that we could share this life-giving message. Lord Jesus, we trust you. Amen. Last verse of 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is in vain. Thank you. I'll be here at the, at the front to pray with you. We also have uh, someone down front here to pray with you as well. So.